We got rid of a stupid meeting. That's a win. We started to check in with each other differently. That's a win. We got a little bit more self-aware. That's a win. We changed our planning process. That's a win. And every time we do that, we're opening up new possibilities. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell. Welcome back to this episode of Superhumans at Work. I have a guest today, Aaron Dignan, and he is the founder of the company The Ready, which is a global organization for transformation and bringing coaching practices in large organizations that really need to reinvent themselves today. He's had clients such as GE, Kaplan, Microsoft, just to name a few, and actually has sat on the advisory boards of companies such as GE, American Express, Pepsi. And so, A lot of these big companies are bringing Aaron in to help them understand what are these shifts happening in our future of work here? What are these things that they need to get ready for? And as they bring him in, he advises them on how to make those shifts and embrace these new ways of doing business. We're seeing breaks in companies, governments, and organizations of all types. And his latest book, Brave New Work, Are You Ready to Reinvent Your Organization, was released in February 2019, has been doing phenomenal, and what we're going to talk about today is how do you embrace these changes? How do you establish yourself as an individual within an organization that it's embracing this brave new work? And how do you shift your own organization to do the same? Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Aaron, so you've been working with these like legendary behemoth Fortune 500 companies and the company you have is called The Ready. You're getting them ready for what? What's happening here? Well, fundamentally, the way we work was kind of born on a factory floor 100 years ago and was really designed for a vastly less complex world where the dynamics and the pace of change and the demands of customers and users were just different. You know, we were going for one box of cornflakes that tasted the same every time you ate it instead of now, you know, you go down the aisle and there are 15 brands of Oreo and there are 700,000 podcasts. The competitive landscape and the globalization that we face is just dramatically different. And on top of that, the way we worked back then that has sort of pervaded our lives today, the bureaucracy, the red tape, the policies for everything, the kind of dehumanizing approach, it's not meeting our needs anymore as people. The best talent, the top talent in the world, they don't want to work at a place like that. They want to work in a place where they can really realize their genius. And so there's kind of a call right now to change the way we work, to reinvent our organizations, to be vastly more adaptive and more human. And that's really what this is all about. And obviously, you know, many of these large companies have not fully realized that gain yet, but they're pursuing it. And they're starting to realize that it's going to be a necessity to compete in the future, which I'm excited about. I am excited about this. I mean, I've been having these conversations with people that speak about this future of work. And it seems like when you embrace these more human qualities, you drive up innovation, you drive up competitiveness. I can't think of anybody I've ever encountered saying, you know what this world needs is more red tape. Why is there so much resistance to trusting this shift? And why does this red tape stay in place? It has to serve a purpose and there must be a lot of fear behind it. What's going on? I think there's two reasons here. One has to do with our mindset and the other has to do with just the natural entropy and physics of the universe. So I don't know if anybody's ever opened a kitchen drawer or looked in a garage, but what we tend to do is accumulate. 
right? Nobody ever cleans anything out. That's why Marie Kondo's book sold like 7 million copies. We all want to clean up. And when you look at organizations, we have clutter there as well. I call that clutter organizational debt. It's all the policies and procedures and rules and meetings and norms that have evolved over the years that may or may not be serving us anymore that we need to reconsider and refactor. And so just like financial debt is a drag and just like technical debt in software can slow you down later on, organizational debt is painful and it causes frustration. It causes gaps in speed and performance. You know, if we're all going to a meeting that none of us are getting any value out of and we're doing that once a week all year and there's 10 of us in there, think about the cost. And actually, one of our colleagues in this space, Gary Hamill, has evaluated the cost. And it's about $3 trillion a year for the U.S. alone, $9 trillion globally. That's the waste that's in the system. And that is not even things that we need to do. That's just things that we're choosing to do needlessly. So I think organizational debt is one of the reasons. And the reason we create organizational debt, and this goes to the mindset, is that we misunderstand the nature of our human systems. So you think about the fact that for most human beings, the words complicated and complex mean the same thing, right? Those are things that have a lot of moving parts that we don't understand, that frustrate us, they're complicated and they're complex. But if you actually break those words down with a systems theorist, they'll tell you, well, no, a complicated system is something like a watch or an engine. It is causal. There's a cause and effect relationship in it. And if it's broken, it can be fixed. An expert can fix it. They can understand it and make it work. A complex system is something like traffic or the weather or a garden or a six-year-old. These systems are fundamentally dispositional. They have a way they're trending, but there's a kind of a chaos at the core of them. There's so many different agents interacting that make their behavior express that we can't predict exactly what will happen. You know, if you try to get a meteorologist to tell you the weather four or five days away, they'll be wrong and they'll tell you they're wrong because they know that there's too many factors at play to describe it. And so the problem is that when we look at organizations and teams and our culture and our way of working, we often want to treat it like it's complicated, like it's a watch and not treat it like it's complex, like a garden. And so we do things like create checklists and Gantt charts and deployment plans and five-year views and telling people what their values should be on a coffee mug or a poster. And none of that shit works. It's all completely ineffective because it misunderstands the nature of the system itself. And so those two things lead to a world where we have more and more approaches to the system that are not a match for its nature and they add on top of each other and on top of each other and on top of each other because we never get rid of any of it. And so I've literally sat with leaders who are like, hey, I inherited this meeting that we all have that nobody likes from the one that came before me. And then I go find them and they say, I inherited it from the one that came before me. And nobody knows where any of this stuff came from. So I think there's a real requirement here to shift. I find this so funny, this idea of organizational debt, because I remember working for an organization. I won't name it because the statement is really intense, but I remember having, it must have been a coffee towards the end of the day with a colleague, and we were working on changing a lot of things happening in this organization. It was a governmental organization. And one of his things that he proposed as the best thing that could ever happen to this area would be to just have the whole building blow up while nobody's in it. And so you could actually declare what do you call like organizational bankruptcy. And if you think about when you have financial debt, debt, you can declare bankruptcy and come back. Are organizations facing a place where they need to actually hit delete massively and restart? Because that doesn't seem like it could actually work in the real life. Like, how do you approach that if you're coming in with all this debt, you know? 
funnily enough, the consequence of too much organizational debt that you don't deal with is actual bankruptcy. <laughs> but <laughs> so there is a button for that, but it's too late. I think the reality is that, you know, most of these organizations have to begin to take stock. And we often refer to this as start by stopping, right? So if you look at the continuum of organizations from startup to end up, the startups are kind of operating in chaos, right? They don't have any constraints. They don't really know what roles everybody's playing. They're just figuring it out around the table. The end-ups are operating in total bureaucracy, right? Total red tape. Everything has a constraint. Everything has a predetermined plan. And so they're craving that flexibility. But when they both look across the aisle at each other, neither wants to be the other one, right? The chaos-driven startup is like, I don't want to end up as a bureaucracy. And the bureaucracy is looking back saying, I like the speed of the startup, but I can't do it like that. I have 100,000 people. There's no way we can just not have roles and not have rules and actually get anything done. And so there's a misunderstanding there. And the correct approach for both of them is to find the third way. And the third way is the right constraints, just enough to hold the space, just enough for us to sort of operate safely, but leaving room for judgment and intuition and interpretation within that space. And that sweet spot, it seems like where these big organizations go wrong is as they have these large amounts of people that are in place, as this wave of change and innovation happening in the world right now is so fast, it's making these systems so complex. And they're trying to kind of streamline or systemize this whole complex system. And then at this point, it goes too far. Is this the typical trend? And is it amplified now because of the rate of speed that change is happening? Yeah, it's definitely amplified because we have bigger markets, right? So we're fully globalized. I mean, I have many clients that operate in more than 100 countries. So just imagine that for a second. You have 100 cultures trying to do business together day in, day out, trying to work across lines in every time zone you can imagine. Just the sheer mathematical complexity of that is kind of hard to overstate. And then, yeah, of course, you have great dynamism in the market now. Things have always changed fast, obviously, but it's so easy to start something now. It's so easy to compete. And we're now starting to see more orthogonal competition where it's like maybe the biggest competition to the airlines isn't another airline. It's the Zoom meeting that we're on right now. There's so many different ways to get at each other. So I do think that it's an environment that is especially taxing and especially calling for how can we have more adaptivity at work? And by the way, how can we have more humanity at work as well? Because it needs to do both in order to be ultimately effective. And this is the trend I'm really loving is this whole idea that everything that's shifting in these organizations is, seems to be drawing it more towards human, where people have this fear of robots are going to take over and there's no humans at all. We're actually seeing that a lot of these organizations that are embracing these human values seem to be succeeding more. And so can you tell us more about how do I find that sweet spot, that third option that you're speaking about to bring those kind of human values forward? Yeah, well, it's interesting because this goes back to the complicated and the complex because complicated problems will be eaten by automation and AI and robotics and technology because, of course, they can be turned into checklists. We can definitely do that. But the complex problems, the creative problems, the interesting problems, those are going to remain human's domain for quite a long time, if not forever. And so that's where we need to kind of focus our effort. The trick to finding the third way to being somewhere between bureaucracy and chaos is to recognize that the kind of system we want is one where people are using their judgment and using their creativity and their human intuition 
and one where we're agreeing on certain guidelines and principles and ground rules that hold us in a coherent way of working in a coherent space and kind of make the things that we're doing safe to try. So my favorite example of this is the lighted intersection versus the roundabout, right? Because the lighted intersection has lights that tell us what to do. The assumption there is people need to be told what to do. And so red, yellow, green, and arrows and all that tell us what to do. But of course, that works with a lot of apparatus around it. You have to think of every possible scenario. You have to have electricity. You have to have control grids. You have to have all this stuff around it to make it work. The roundabout has a different set of assumptions about people in the problem. It says they'll figure it out, right? We'll just give them a couple simple rules, couple enabling constraints, right? Go with the flow of traffic, give the right away to the people in the circle. And beyond that, you kind of figure it out. You can do it faster or slower. You can do it crowded or not crowded. You can kind of play the game the way you want to play it. And the way it works is through social coordination. It's, it relies on us to not hit each other. That's the nature of the system. And what's interesting about that kind of third way approach is that it's better in almost every way, right? So on average, it's higher throughput, it's more safe, it's cheaper to build and maintain, and it works a heck of a lot better when the power goes out. But we have over a thousand times more lighted intersections here in the United States. And so it tells me a story about, hmm, we feel a lot more comfortable in these hierarchical systems, but in a lot of cases, social coordination and an agreement to a few simple rules is actually a better way to go. But that's a leap of faith assumption that we have to actually make together. And it's also a practice. I mean, one of the things about roundabouts is you're not very good the first time you go into one. It kind of keeps you safe by the way it's designed, but you're a heck of a lot better after 10 years of doing that. And so this is an art that needs to be practiced, this movement of new ways of working. I feel like there's value of control that's at play here, whereas there's a need of an illusionary control that organizations want to have, and this throws them into more red tape, more kind of standardized practices that really squeeze out any creativity that would squeeze out any kind of innovation. Is this a value or a human need that's a lot at play, and is there a way to deal with it? There's no question that humans are motivated by things like autonomy and mastery and purpose and connection to each other, not so much by carrots and sticks. And when we are motivated by carrots and sticks, it's temporary and usually it has negative effects later on. So we can actually take away someone's motivation by rewarding them. You know, if I gave you a piece of candy or a bonus every time that you worked out and then I took it away, I would actually literally mess with the neural pathways in your brain when it comes to working out and you would be less likely to do it again. So we can actually get really into dangerous places when we try to mess with human motivation. The nature of people is that they want to do interesting, meaningful work. They want to grow in their capability and their practice and their mastery. And they want to do that with people that are challenging them and helping them accomplish those missions. You know, it's surprisingly simple to set up a system that actually does that, but it's also surprisingly easy to take that away. And so organizations that listen to this and individuals as well here, they're starting to know, okay, I understand like the red tape, we've seen this in extreme, nobody's liking it. The startup obviously needs to grow up at some point and they need to find the sweet spot. So everybody's gravitating towards that. But I'm sure you're still seeing a lot of clients that come to you and want you to come and play a critical role in helping people move towards that space. Is there an element that companies still struggle to embrace to make that change? Because it seems like everybody wants it, but nobody really knows how to do it. And there needs to be an external force that comes in to propel them in that direction. Is this something you're witnessing or is there anything an organization can do independently as well? The saying I always love about this is start the way you mean to finish. 
And so one of the problems that we have and one of the reasons that so many organizations struggle to realize more agility and more responsiveness and more humanity at work is that they approach that project with the same tools and mindsets that they run every other project with. So they're like, oh, we're going to become human and adaptive. Let's get a Gantt chart. Let's get a three-year plan. Let's get a top-down consultant. Let's release the PowerPoint on Monday that tells everybody what to do. And that's not starting the way you mean to finish. That's actually setting yourself up for failure from the word go. So actually what you need to do is completely rewire your thinking about how to change the system as well. And with these complex systems, the right approach is experimentation where you are trying things, you know, principled experiments where you're trying it based on things that we know to be true about human nature and about organizational behavior. So principles like autonomy and transparency and consent and decentralization, principled experiments where we say, let's find out what happens if we try this in a safe to try way and let's learn something by doing that. And so it's a lot more gardening than it is city planning. A lot more of like, oh, when I put this here, when I water this this way, when I give these folks the authority to try this differently, what happens? And do I want to feed that or do I want to starve that? Do we want to feed that or do we want to starve that? Is it meeting our needs? So you're in relationship with it. And what you're really trying to do is realize what Stephen Johnson calls the adjacent possible, right? It's lovely to read a story about some company that's been doing this for 20 years and they're doing crazy stuff with the way they organize, but you can't have that tomorrow right? Any more than I can have six pack abs tomorrow. If I get excited by the rock and I'm like, I'm going to go get buff. It's not going to happen that way. What's going to happen is tomorrow I'm going to do 30 sit-ups and nothing's going to change. Right. And so this is exactly the same thing. We need to go out and realize through practice what's possible and what's possible for us might be, we got rid of a stupid meeting. That's a win. We started to check in with each other differently. That's a win. We got a little bit more self-aware. That's a win. We changed our planning process. That's a win. And every time we do that, we are moving further and further into this adjacent possible, and we're opening up new possibilities and new questions. So when I work with teams, I always start with the question they're sitting with, right? Like, what's stopping you from doing the best work of your life? And they're going to have ideas about that. A year later, the question's going to be bigger, different, more radical. And so we're always kind of following that thread as we go. Is that a good kind of question for self-assessment to constantly bring as a practice in the organization is like, what's holding you back from doing your best work? Because that seems like it's something that as much as you take away those low-hanging fruit, like the meetings that nobody knows why exists, it could be a test that you constantly run in a cadence that always makes you identify more processes that might not be supporting you, but actually holding you back. Yeah, I'm pretty radical about this. I actually think it's the only question you need in organizational design is what's stopping you from doing the best work of your life? Because if the teams at every level are answering that and they have the power to then pursue the answer, then everything will take care of itself in time, right? Like we'll find our way. Wow. When you're working with these organizations and they're doing these kinds of practice, are you seeing cases where they go too far and it creates risk? And is there ways to manage that risk if you're feeling very resistant to making those changes? Well, one of the things I have seen is that as a leader, you can get very excited about these ideas and try to implement them by fiat, like an autocrat. So you can be like, hey, starting tomorrow, you all manage yourselves. And what's weird about that is it feels like the right move because you're freeing the system. But sometimes if it doesn't come with the right context and the right container and the right psychological safety and some practice, it can be too much too soon. And it can actually create a lot of chaos and a lot of uncertainty in the system. People have big moves to make here with their ego 
go, with their identity, with the way they get paid, with the way they think about their role. It's not something that you can sort of pull the Band-Aid off on right away. Now, that's not to say that you can't make big moves at certain points in this journey. You can, but you need to make them when you're ready, which comes back to the name of the company, right? You know, you need to be ready for each stage of this process. And often for a company that's in deep bureaucracy, the first step is to play with these ideas a little bit. It's not to sort of from on high push a new mandate and make it true the next day. And I love how this actual question, you know, we talk a lot from the big scope of the entire organization, but on an individual level here, this is a question an individual can ask themselves no matter where they are in the organization and help make a quick optimization within their own flow and kind of push that culture up into the organization. Have you witnessed this happen from the bottom move towards the top of the organization? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you don't have any support from people that hold power in the organization, you're going to hit a speed bump eventually. But the reality is that most people have a lot more control over the way they work than they think they do at first glance. The way we meet, the way we decide, the way we treat each other, the way we flow information, the tools that we use, there's a lot more freedom there than we usually claim. And so it is nice to see that momentum from the bottom where people say, yeah, you know what? We started doing our weekly meeting differently. We started describing our roles differently. We started sharing our work in progress with each other. We started working in two-week sprints. There's a million things that you can do that really don't require the CFO to blow up the budgeting process, which you know you can get around to, but that's not going to be the first move. And frankly, when you get good at this looping process of going from tension to practice to experiment and back around again, when you get good at it on the easy stuff, on the local stuff, then when it's time to do the bigger stuff, you're better prepared, you know, kind of what to expect and how to navigate that. Amazing. And I'd love to close this off, Aaron, with the fact that, you know, you're out there, you've just launched this book, it's getting some success, and you're also doing this consulting with these companies, and they're starting to embrace these practices. What's the end game look like? What are we going to see in these organizations as they start adapting this? Are we seeing the ones that don't are going to suffer and possibly go out of business? And what would the world look like once the people start adapting all these ideas that you're bringing forward? Well, I think the hard part about this is that we're at a crossroads as a culture right now. We have problems in our politics, in our ecology, and our environment, in our economy that are complex problems, and they're going to require different approaches. And we have to decide, are we going to retreat to kind of big loudmouths and kind of top-down solutions and trying to force it, or are we going to collectively solve these problems with ourselves for ourselves? And so I think there is kind of a choice to be made. And companies, too, you see some retreating to a very top-down, extractive approach that is all about scale and monopoly and dominance. And you see others that are really awakening to new ways of relating with each other and competing and thinking differently about those basic ideas. I think it's a choice, and I'm not sure what's going to happen next. In some ways, the reason I'm out here talking about this is I'd rather fight for a world where people love to go to work. We have a chance to realize that world in the next decade or so. And we also have a chance to lose it. And so that's really, you know, what we have to fight for. Aaron, thanks to you for coming on the show and sharing these ideas. And for everybody listening, I hope you're inspired to understand that you have a role to play to make this beautiful future be a possibility that we strive towards, as opposed to this kind of darker dystopian type of vision. It's all of a responsibility that we play collectively. And what I've particularly liked in this episode is the fact that we talked about the big difference between a complex system and a complicated system. And you can't solve the complex systems using the complicated methodologies here because 
as it's complex, it's always changing. It's not as predictable. And if you're trying to layer all the red tape on these things that constantly change in our fluid, you're going to find yourself standstill. And then you're obviously going to work towards seeing the organization decline. And, you know, one of the fascinating statistics I've heard was that a vast majority of Fortune 500 in the early 2000s are no longer in that list today. And so there is some changes happening. There is some adaptation that is required. And so you want to be able to see that you're actually bringing this one powerful question that I love, which is what is holding you back from doing your best work today? And you can run this from an individual level to a departmental level to a whole organization level. And there's a lot of wins that you can look at optimizing what is happening in the organization and keep the systems and the processes that actually serve in bringing out the best work out of people and taking away the ones that hold it back and really saves a ton of money for the organization, makes people happier doing the work that they should be doing, which is more organized around their creativity and putting that innovation forward. A brave new work needs to emerge and we're all playing a part in doing that. And when you embrace these ideas, your organization is set to thrive. Individuals within it are set to do the same. And I do encourage everybody to look into the brave new work and the the ready podcast, grab the book, listen to the podcast and get involved into how you can bring these ideas in your organization in a more strong way. Aaron, thanks again for being on the show and everybody, thank you for listening in. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this interview with Aaron Dignan. And we covered the ideas of a brave new work. And you need to look at how you can play a part in making your organization evolve to the needs of what is going to be required for thriving organizations in the future. I love this power question that I would encourage you to do on a regular basis. What is holding you back from doing your best work? And when you do that question, you see what comes up optimize, innovate, see if you can take away, delete, if possible, the things that you know are no longer serving. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a review and tell us what you particularly liked in this episode and share this with your friends as we keep this podcast completely commercial free. This has been your host, Jason Campbell. Thanks for tuning in and until next time. My name is Jason Campbell and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.